Well, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. Just want to mention in light of uh, Paul's uh, suit, I have a sweater with a logo. I'm good with that, okay? We're going to keep it just like that. Um, want to um, remind you what they said in that video. Um, there are, is an opportunity for you to pack shoeboxes online. About a month ago, we packed 2,400 shoeboxes here that went to difficult-to-reach uh, places. They either went to uh, countries that are hard to reach because of customs or because of distance, um, maybe because of religious restrictions, and we have to control what goes in those shoeboxes. Um, if you want your shoebox to absolutely go to one of those difficult-to-reach uh, places for some reason or another, um, a way you can guarantee that is uh, by packing a shoebox online. The QR code that's in your bulletin, it's really small in the bulletin, but it, your phone will read it, or you can actually get it off the screen there, um, and and that QR code will take you to Fellowship's Pack a Shoebox Online page. And every one of those shoeboxes that gets packed will contribute uh, to our fellowship goal of 7,000 shoeboxes. But all of those shoeboxes that get packed online go to the difficult-to-reach places. So if you want to target difficult-to-reach places, or if shopping for shoebox contents at the Go Store and Walmart is just not your deal, but you'd rather do it, for $25, you can you select what goes in the shoebox. They give you some options pay for the shipping, and you can pack as many as you want. The, our fellowship online goal is to do 1,000 online. We're at 74 right now. Um, and just want to encourage you, if, if you don't have time, you've run out of time, or just shopping's not what you want to do, you can go online, pack as many as you want um, online. And the other thing is, those absolutely do go to the difficult-to-reach places. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, you have a connection card somewhere near you. If you have a prayer request this morning, I want to encourage you to uh, let us be praying for you. If you want to pray uh, with somebody here in the church uh, after the service under this uh, love sign behind the baptistry and under hope up here, we'll have members of our prayer team who will be here uh, to pray for you. So we want to encourage you to take advantage of all of that. Um, and uh, just uh, be reminded that this week we're going to need volunteers between 10 and 12, or between 10 and 2 most days, between 10 in the morning and 2 o'clock, there'll be a lot of shoeboxes coming through here. Fellowship's goal is 7,000, but through this central drop-off over the next week, we'll process 20,000 shoeboxes. Um, and so we need help with people uh, as other churches are dropping their shoeboxes off here. And then not necessarily tomorrow, which is when we stop start, but a week from tomorrow, um, all of the other drop-offs that are around um, central Arkansas um, a six-county area, on Monday morning, they will be bringing their shoeboxes from their drop-offs in already in cartons to go on a semi. So not tomorrow, but the next Monday, we need some help uh, with people getting uh, those shoeboxes loaded on that trailer. So we want to encourage you to be uh, participating and just drop in if you can. It's a great, great time for fellowship um, and just an opportunity for you to get your hands once again on getting the gospel around the world. Uh, we are doing a series uh, this next year or so where we are uh, stepping through each book of the Bible. And let me just remind you, the point of this series is not for you to come hear uh, me talk about it and get a chart. <laughs> That's not the point of this, this sermon series. This entire message series is designed to provide you with the context and the tools for you to spend time in God's Word. Um, for you to have the context in which you can take one of these books, um, maybe one of them, you know, one by one, but take these books and go deeper in that. And so as we talk about Deuteronomy today, this is not just a once and done. I, I'm hoping that this will be the opportunity for you to spend a lot of time in God's Word 
um, for the rest of your life. Um, And as we look at Deuteronomy, um, it is a really interesting book. It It is a call for covenant faithfulness. It is God's people who have been redeemed, who've been guided and disciplined, who are ready to embark on something big and new, um, being called to be faithful to the covenant that God has made with them. Um, it's presented as four sermons, actually three sermons um, and, a, and a farewell address, that is all arranged in the context and in the form of a treaty. I will talk about that more. Um, but Deuteronomy is a really significant book. All Scripture is profitable. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. But Deuteronomy has some really interesting features that make it prominent not only in the Old Testament but in the New Testament. Um, Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke says this, Deuteronomy expresses most fully God's essence and character. Um, If you want to know what God is like, he's holy and just, and he is faithful and gracious. If you want to know all of that, you can see it really clearly in Deuteronomy. Um, This next quote I'm going to give you, it's not one of those quotes that just sparkles, um, but I love how he frames this, and it gets to kind of the depth of what's going on in Deuteronomy. He says, one can write a comprehensive systematic theology of the sublime person of I am from Deuteronomy. God reveals himself as I am. Um, he, he says, I am. When we say Yahweh, literally, Yahweh is he is. <laughs> uh, we are worshiping he is, because we don't get to say I am. Only he says I am. There's a change in the tense there, uh, in the persons there. But, but God is I am. And, and Waltke, who's a, a huge um, hero in the Old Testament scholarship field, uh, tells us that you can get a systematic theology of who I am reveals himself to be in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, Boy, it's a great book. Um, The book itself demonstrates its importance um, in a number of different ways. Let me me take you to a section um, in Deuteronomy 17 where, where they're talking about a king arising. And it says this, When you enter the land the Lord God is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us, like all the other nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. By the way, that's the problem with Saul. They chose Saul. David was God's choice. Make sure you get God's choice. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who's not an Israelite. He's got to be one of you. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. He needs to not be in it for himself. He's not building just his own reputation and his, his own um, war chest. He's not just building uh, for his own pleasure. This is not what you're looking for in a king. But then he's going to say this. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. He's to write it, it taken from the Levitical priest. He gets, a, he gets a copy of it, and he writes it out. Um, it would have taken him a month to probably do that. Um, 
It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, these laws and decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and not turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Um, the, the king, once he does arise, is supposed to take Deuteronomy. Okay, he's supposed to take this this whole book. He's supposed to write it out longhand, and then he's supposed to keep it with him all the days of his life and read it all the time. Because as the king and the leader, he needs to understand what Deuteronomy says. I think by the time we get to the end of this, you'll understand why. Now, I want to jump to the New Testament and talk about not the king, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, any of those guys. I want to talk about our king, Jesus. Jesus used Deuteronomy strategically. When Christ was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, at the beginning of his ministry, he's tempted three times. All three times he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Our king knew Deuteronomy, and he knew it well. He knew it well enough that in the, in the crucial moments when he's being tempted, he goes to Deuteronomy to work himself through it. Here's how, how it uh, reads. This is from Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Deuteronomy 8.3. In the middle of his, um, boy, stress, his need, 40, year, 40 days in the wilderness, hungry, now he's being tempted. What he goes to is Deuteronomy that he knew, and he knew how to apply it in the trenches. Not just quoting random verses. He knew how to apply it. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. By the way, <laughs> Satan himself is quoting Psalm 91. Satan's using the word, the Bible, but twisting it. Jesus' response, he answered, it is also written, don't put your, the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. He's quoting Deuteronomy back at him. He's tempted a third time. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away with you, Satan. He basically is saying, I don't want your messed up kingdoms. By the way, would you want the kingdoms of the world right now? Who wants that? Jesus didn't want it. That's why he's going to come back and set everything straight, and then he's going to rule over it. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy six thirteen. Then the devil left, and the angels came and attended him. Jesus Christ himself, our king, like the prescription, he knew Deuteronomy well. Now, yes, he's omnipotent, and he, he was there when Moses was writing it down, and he was listening to the sermons from heaven. I get all that. But he was able to use this material and to use it well. Waltke goes on to say, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy more than any other book. This is a significant, significant book. If I were to call your attention to one phrase that's used in the book, and it's used a number of times, but the feeling... Uh, of the entire book is this phrase, do not forget. It's used over and over and over again. 
Um, do not forget. Um, the book of Deuteronomy is going to remind you, and it's going to tell some of the stories in Genesis. It's going to tell a lot of the stories in Exodus and review the laws, and he's going to preach messages on the laws in Exodus. It's going to review a lot of the ceremonies in Leviticus. It's going to reveal the narrative of the journeys in Numbers. It's going to review all of that stuff and say, remember all of that. Remember that God redeemed you. Remember that God was faithful to you. Remember that he guided you. And Remember your unfaithfulness in the middle of all of that. Remember, guys, that's what the book of Deuteronomy is going to say. Uh, Here's one sample of it. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commandments, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Remember the Lord. Remember how faithful he is. Embedded in that is also going to be remember how unfaithful you are. And remember the opposition of the world? Remember all of that stuff. I've tried to summarize it. Remember the Lord, his faithfulness, and his calling. He's calling you to be a witness and, and be separate in the world. Remember your identity, your identity as unfaithful people, but you're calling to represent him in the world. And re- remember your, op- your enemies, their, their opposition to you? He, he does tell them, remember how these guys opposed you and these guys opposed you. But remember their destiny. God is going to judge them. Remember what's happened, folks. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is going to call them to do. And so Deuteronomy is Moses preaching three sermons and giving a farewell address, all arranged as a a treaty. You're going to see that very clearly in just a moment. Encouraging to remember. Remember all the stuff back in Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. Remember all of that stuff. And... (laughs) Be faithful to your God. He's been faithful to you. You be faithful to him. So now we're going to look at this context. Who's writing? When is he writing? Where is he writing from? And why is he writing? So let's start uh, again. We're in a pattern here, by the way. Uh, Moses recorded three of his sermons and a farewell address to the nation of Israel shortly before his death as they were camped on the plains of Moab, poised to enter the land, poised to enter the promised land. Moses is going to give a short sermon, a really long sermon, a short sermon, and then he's going to call them to faithfulness, and then he's going to give a farewell address in which he says, I know you're not going to be faithful anyways, but God will still be faithful to you. That's his farewell address. Um, you know, I can't wait to get to my last message here. I wonder, if, I hope I do better, a little more encouraging. Moses' farewell address is not very encouraging. He basically just says, you're going to blow it, <laughs> but God's faithful anyways. Um, I'll try to say something better in my last message whenever that is. Um, wh- when did all this happen? The events uh, covered in Deuteronomy take place during one month. This is a one-month sermon series. Uh, during one month, while the Israelites are camped on the plains of Moab at the end of Moses' life, after the wilderness wanderings, this is after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, just prior to Joshua leading the conquest of the land. Um, by the way, I'm trying to do in 45 minutes what he took a month to do. Give me a break. Okay. Um, where were they? <laughs> Moses and the Israelites are camped out on the plains of Moab. Um, they've come out of Egypt. They've been at Sinai where they got the law. They've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're on the plains of Moab. Let me just show you that real briefly. Here's um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob up there in the promised land. At the end of Jacob's life, Joseph has already gone to, um, to Egypt 
Um, because there's a famine in the land, the whole crew goes down there into Egypt, and they're going to be there for 400 years because they originally go to get some provision. They're enslaved by the Egyptians. They're there 400 years. God is going to send Moses, who's going to, um, in the book of Exodus, lead them um, out of the land. God delivers them through the 10 plagues. They're going to cross the Red Sea. They're going to eventually move down here to um, Sinai. When they get to Mount Sinai, uh, what's going to happen is they're going to get the law. They're going to go up to Kadesh Barnea. They're going to send some spies into the land, decide they're not going to be faithful to God. God says, that whole generation that's not faithful to me, I'm going to make you wander in the wilderness for 400 years. So they wander there. That's described in the book of Numbers. And then they eventually are going to end up up here on the east side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the boundary of the promised land. They're east of that. They haven't gone into it yet. They're camped out for one month. And during that one month, Moses is going to preach three sermons, give his farewell address. He's going to die. And then after that month, Joshua is going to lead the invasion into the promised land. That's when this is taking place. It's all taking place in 1406 BC. One month during 1406 BC. We know all of this, okay? Now, the final question is why? Why is all of this written? Um, Danny Hayes says it this way. In a nutshell, the book of Deuteronomy is a contract between God and Israel. It defines the terms by which Israel can live in the promised land with God in their midst and be blessed by him. It's a contract. Again, it is three sermons and a farewell address. But a number of years ago, a number of scholars discovered some really interesting things, and one of them, prominently a man named Meredith Klein, uh, in doing archaeological research with the Hittite kingdom, he began to uncover all of these uh, Hittite treaties and contracts. And what he noticed, and what everybody now notices, is that the book of Deuteronomy is framed like a contract. It is framed as a treaty between God and Israel. It's called a suzerain vassal treaty. Um, It's very clearly following the pattern that a um, great Hittite king would make with someone who is one of um, his vassal kings, someone who is to serve him. And it follows that pattern exactly. Um, it, It is a contract between God and the people. And God is saying, I'm in charge here. Here are my stipulations. Here's what's going to be the consequences of obedience and disobedience. And then he says, are you going to be faithful? Because I want to bless you, but you need to know the terms by which you will be blessed. Now, why Moses is putting this in sermons is because the law itself, the Ten Commandments, which is almost never referred to in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy is. Because Deuteronomy is the sermonic expansion of the Ten Commandments. You'll see that in just a moment. He is going back to make very practical. Yes, the law says remember the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? Can I do this? Can I do that? All it says is remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. What do you do with that? I mean, just think about it for just a minute. What does that mean? Remember it? Oh, yeah, it's Saturday. Good, I remember the Sabbath. Is that what it means? No, Moses is going to preach a whole sermon on the Sabbath, and he's going to expand. Here's what that means. You can do this. You can't do this. You can do this. And it's your heart that has to be engaged in all of that. So now we move to the content. What's going on here? How, how is this arranged, and what is going on here? Now, uh, before we get there, let me, let me just frame the what. Um, Scott Red says this. Um, 
Deuteronomy is the theological center of the Old Testament. Um, it is the thing that, that a lot of the Old Testament is arranged around. By the way, when we get to the prophets, it'll be a while, but when we start to get to the prophets, here's what you're going to find out. The prophets are preaching Deuteronomy. In particular, they're preaching the Palestinian covenant that I'll talk about at the end of this message. But Deuteronomy is the theological center. It really guides all of the narrative um, that comes. Um, it is going to uh, be the guy that, that explains why the kingdom is, is unified and why it divides and why God sends them away into captivity. It's going to explain all of the preaching of the, um, the prophets in the Old Testament. It's the theological center. In fact, it shows up all the time. Um, in Judea, um, the nation of Israel is united as a kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon. Okay, It's, it's a united kingdom. Solomon's um, son and his army general split the kingdom into the north and the south. There's Israel in the north, Judah in the south. There are 19 kings in the north, 20 kings in the south. Okay? In the north, in Samaria, they're not around the temple. There are no good kings up there. In the south, in Judea, there are 20 kings. If you're gracious, there's maybe eight really good kings. Probably the star on the list is Josiah. What happens with Josiah is... He becomes um, king when he's really young, um, and as he grows, he eventually, um, rummaging around in the temple, finds a copy of Deuteronomy. They bring it to him, he reads it, and he says, oh my word, we haven't been doing any of this stuff. So he, he calls all the people together, they read Deuteronomy, and a revival breaks out. Because he, as the king, recognizes, I'm supposed to be enforcing this. I'm supposed to be reminding the people of this, and he does. Jeremiah, throughout the book, is preaching Deuteronomy. Um, His references to Deuteronomy are just endless. I couldn't fit them on a page. In Ezekiel 36, to the exilic community, this is a community, after the nation is divided, the northern kingdom is wiped out by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom, Judah, is taken captivity by the Babylonians. While they're in captivity, Ezekiel seems to be doing his devotions from Deuteronomy, and he basically reminds them, he says, hey, all the stuff that happened to us, it's exactly what God said would happen to us, and if we'll repent, God will take us back. When they get back, Nehemiah tells the story of Ezra reading and making clear to the people the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the theological center of the book. So how is it arranged? Here's how I would arrange it. It's four sermons. A short sermon that is the historical review of God's faithfulness. Again, twice in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 1 and later in chapter 33, Moses is going to review the history. It's going to sound a lot like um, Exodus and Numbers, okay, because he's reviewing all of that. Short sermon at the beginning. Then he's going to do an exposition of the Ten Commandments. I'm going to talk about that. It's a long sermon, chapters 4 through 26. Then he's going to give a catalog of the blessings and cursings in a shorter message, and then give his farewell address in which he says, Hey, I'm leaving. I'm turning this over to a new generation. Please be faithful. I know you want, but God's going to be faithful to you. These are the three sermons, a short one, a long one, a short one, and then his farewell address. That's what's going on in Deuteronomy. Now, he's got a month to arrange this, and so it seems to me what's very clear is that he's aware of what a treaty looks like. And so he's going to arrange the book purposefully to look like a treaty 
between a king and his people. It starts off with a preamble, the parties involved. That's what goes into a, a Hittite treaty. Um, that's verses one, chapter 1, 1 to 5. Here, here, here's the people involved. Then he's going to get a historical prologue, the narration of their history. How did we get here? That's his first kind of thing that looks like Exodus and Numbers. Then he's going to give the covenant stipulations. Here's the exact contract. Here's what God will do. Here's what you're supposed to do. That's his exposition of the Ten Commandments. Then he's going to give the blessings and cursings, the consequences for covenant faithfulness and covenant unfaithfulness. Then again, he's going to give this farewell address that really doesn't fit the treaty form. It's a treaty, folks. Now, it's a contract. If you've ever bought a house, you know that there is a big stack of papers, and you go in there, and you sign your name a bunch of times, and you don't read any of it. And then you get in trouble later when you go, oh, can I do this? And they're, nope, you can't do that. It's in the contract. Um, just this past week, I had to sign a contract for my mom's health care. Um, I didn't read it all. <laughs> um, I, I signed my name, initialed a bunch of times, and I just hoped in good faith that it's all going to work out. How many times is that true for you? <laughs> you know, when you, when you really need a contract, it's never in your favor. This contract is actually in your favor. But do we ever read it? Um, when, when Jordan um, started to drive, got his driver's license, his, uh, his uh, granddad gave him a truck, and we had a contract for him to sign, okay? So we, we had this contract. We said, hey, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Your granddad's been gracious. He's provided you all of this. But if you do any of these things, you, have to, you lose the truck for a week, okay? So we handed, we handed him the contract. We made him sign it all out. He initialed all of the places he was supposed to initial. And then we gave him the keys, and he was, you know, great. He's got a truck from his granddad. Awesome. One of the things in the contract said, you're not allowed to let anyone else drive the truck the first day. Now, if you're a parent, you, you know God just has something that lets you see things, lets your friends see things and call you up. First day, he's driving down one of the streets in Conway, and my wife is driving this way, and as she passes, he's in the passenger seat, and one of his friends is driving the truck. <laughs> and we got home that night. We said, hey, saw Paul driving your truck today. Hand me the keys. What do you mean, give me the keys? It's in the contract. What contract? The contract you signed. Really? I didn't read all that. Okay, two lessons. He can't drive the truck. Read your contracts. <laughs> Folks, we should know what the contract says. And here's what the contract says. God will be faithful to you to bless you when you obey and to discipline you when, you're dis when, when you disobey. <laughs> God will be faithful to you. You'll be faithful to him. Now, we kind of like the fact that the first day he blew it because he knew we were serious about it, which is that whole principle of early in kind of God establishing a contract, something serious happens. <laughs> Somebody dies often. This guy was picking up sticks. God killed him. Oh, my gosh, he's serious. Um, yeah, <laughs> you, you let your buddy drive your truck. Give me the keys for a week. By the way, not only did, did Jordan learn his lesson, Josh learned the lesson too. Josh never lets anybody drive his stuff. Why? <laughs> Contract's not in force anymore, but he, he learned the lesson too, that my parents are serious about this. Yes, God is serious about this. The whole book is a contract with the people of God. Now, here's, I've tried to put that on the chart that's out there. By the way, there's also a, a handout at the Connection Center that talks about the format of an ancient Hittite treaty. 
um, it's very clear that this is paralleling that. Um, here are the, the three sermons and the farewell address, all of that in covenant format that looks like that. But I want to point out something. Right in the middle of the book is this long sermon that's on the Ten Commandments. Okay, We're going to focus on this for just a moment here. Um, Everybody understands and everybody knows this is an exposition of the Ten Commandments. Um, It starts off with really kind of this introduction to it, and then the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, verses 6 to 11 are repeated. Just the commandments, okay? You shall have no other gods before me, no idols, the whole list of them. No stealing, no adultery, no coveting. It just gives you, here's the Ten Commandments, it repeats What's in the book of Exodus, except for the Sabbath day is connected to something different. Don't worry about that. There's so many things I can't talk about. Um, But it repeats the Ten Commandments, okay? Um, The people say, yes, we will obey that. We're, We're in. We're good. And Moses basically says this. Let me make sure, and then he preaches this long sermon from chapter 6 through chapter 26, giving an exposition of here's what all of these things mean. Now, everybody knows, all scholars know, embedded in chapter 6 through 26 is a message on the Ten Commandments. And I've got them organized as best I can there, where commandment one is talked about, where commandment two is talked about, number three, four. Um, I'm doing the best I can, but let let me tell you, everybody knows it's a message on the Ten Commandments. Where it stops and starts, I don't know. I've spent three weeks trying to figure it out and kind of nail it down with confidence to go, yes, this is commandment one. This is commandment two. This is commandment three. I don't know. I really don't, I don't know how they exactly break down. The flow is really clear. You can kind of see, oh, he is talking about having no other gods and the priority of worshiping gods. Now, he's going to kind of drift into no idols at some point. Then he's going to come back to that. Um, He's going to move around. It's kind of like in this series. I mean, today I'm preaching on Deuteronomy, but I talked a little bit about numbers. I mean, he does that. He's kind of moving around. I don't know exactly where the breakdowns are. In fact, he may not really start the exposition of the Ten Commandments until chapter 10. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the exact breakdowns are. Here's what I know. In chapter 4 through 26, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, and he's making them very practical for them. That's what he's doing. So what's the message of this book? The book of Deuteronomy provides a record of three of Moses' sermons and his farewell address to the new generation poised to enter the promised land, presented in a treaty form, calling them to covenant faithfulness and loving God in order to motivate the new generation to maintain their relationship with God and their distinctive witness in the world. God's going to be faithful to you. You be faithful to him so that you can represent him well in the world. Folks, the book of Deuteronomy is really relevant for us. God will be faithful to you to bless you when you obey, discipline when you disobey. When you repent, he's gracious enough to restore you. And he wants you to be faithful to him so that you can represent him in the world. You can be a light to the Gentiles. I'm going to highlight a couple of things in the book, okay? As you move through the book, there is this one section of the book It's actually in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the Israelites would repeat a phrase every day because it really is the center of this this covenant and this call to who is God. It's called the Shema. Um, It's based on the first word in Deuteronomy 6.4. The word for here is the Hebrew word Shema, 
okay? Um, and it's not a, uh, when it says here, it doesn't mean, um, hear what I'm saying, listen. It's more of a, listen up. Listen up, Israel. Pay attention to this. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Elohinu, Yahweh Echad. Jews say that every morning. They say, hero Israel. Yahweh is our God. And Yahweh is, and the word echad, it's the, the word is just, it's the word one. Yahweh, one. It could mean that he's unique. He's, he's unique. He's one of a kind. It could mean he's one in that he's unified. He's, he's unified as one God. It could mean he's the only God. It could mean any of that. I think the rest of the book highlights the idea of his, his uniqueness. He's unique in his holiness. He's unique in his faithfulness. He's unique in his primacy. Um, he is unique in his theological term is aseity. He exists in and of himself. He's not dependent on anybody else. Aseity, it's a great word. You should look at it. Um, God is unique. Remember, he's our God and he's unique. He's one and only. Um, a lot of the newer translations use this idea of uniqueness in their translation of it. The Shema is followed by something they also say, the Vayahavta. The Vayahavta, the V is an and, and you shall love him. Okay, It's that, and you shall love Yahweh. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is a verse that is... Um, quoted by Jesus, when you get to the New Testament, they're going to add a word, they're going to add mind, because in the Hebrew mentality, your heart is really, it's your mind how you think through things, and your heart that you make decisions. Your heart is how you make decisions, okay? It's det- it determines your faithfulness, your loyalty, um, it's your volition, all of that is in your heart in Hebrew mentality. When you get to the New Testament, in the Greek mentality, they throw mind in there to kind of make sure you understand uh, that this is not emotional, okay? This is, this is not just an emotional thing. It is, it is your mind that you think through it, and then you make this decision to be loyal. And, and it identifies who you are. It comes out of your soul, and it's difficult to do, so you have to use all your might to get there. So this is who God is. This is who you should be, and pass this on to your generations. These words that I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. They should be in the, the core of who you are. It's how you make your decisions. You shall recite them to your children. You shall talk to them at the time of your leaving your house and at the time you're going on the road and at the time you're lying down, at the time you're rising up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand you shall, uh, the, and they shall be a, as an emblem between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorframe of your house and on your gates. Talk about this stuff. Talk about it all the time. The Jews actually took this too literally and they actually would affix portions of the scripture um, in a bracelet on their, um, on their hand, uh, or they would put it on their forehead, literally putting it, and it became um, just a formality rather than a reality for them that this was in their hearts. Put it in your hearts. Do whatever it takes to put it in your hearts so you're talking about it all the time. So like Jesus, when you're in the middle of temptation, you can recall it and use it effectively at that time. That's what's going on. It's Deuteronomy 6. It's the Shema and the Vihavta. It is who God is. He's unique. It's who we should be. People who are loyal to him, loving him with all of our heart, um, everything that's within us, our soul, our strength. And we should be passing this on to generations to come. That's what this book calls us to do.
Near the end of the book, there's another interesting, really important section. Uh, Danny Hay says this, Deuteronomy 28 sets, out, sets the stage for the rest of the Old Testament. The driving question is, will Israel be faithful to Deuteronomy and receive blessing? The tragic answer will be no. The prophets will rely heavily on Deuteronomy 28 as they come and announce judgment on Israel for disobeying the covenant laws of Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy 28 through 30 is a reframing of the Palestinian covenant. Remember, I'm telling you, Deuteronomy recalls a bunch of stuff from Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. The clearest presentation of the Palestinian covenant, the governing of their life and how they relate to God and God will relate to them while they're in the land of Palestine, the clearest presentation of it is Leviticus 27. Okay? It's, it's compact. It's all packaged really well there. Moses is going to preach a sermon on Leviticus 27 in Deuteronomy 28 through 30. It's called the Palestinian covenant. It's very clear. God's people will be blessed for their obedience, disciplined for their dis- disobedience, restored when they repent, because God's faithful to his people. He's faithful to bless you, but he's also faithful to discipline you and graciously faithful to restore you when you come back to him. This is the Palestinian covenant, and it becomes the frame and it is, actually is a history lesson for the rest of the Old Testament. God blesses them for a while because they're being faithful. He disciplines when they're disobedient. He disciplines them. They go away. They repent, and God restores them. The specifics in both Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, the specifics for obedience go like this. God will give, bring you prosperity, peace, protection from your enemies, productivity in your family. His presence will be with you, and because his presence with, is with you, you'll be protected and you'll be a witness. These are God's people. God's being good to them. He's also disciplining them. By the way, one of the reasons you know the Old Testament is real is the Old Testament is the only religious document in the world where God is the enemy of his own people. That doesn't happen in any other religion in the world. (laughs) But God is faithful to discipline his people. Um, And because of that, because God is unique and they're faithful to him, they become a witness in the world. Because God, yes, he does discipline them, but throughout the book of Deuteronomy, scattered in just little pieces here and there, basically says this, remember your enemies and what they have done to you. God will judge them. But if any of them want to become Yahwist, they want to worship Yahweh, let them in. Rahab, Ruth, here are people who should have been excluded from the covenant community, but they are welcomed in. Because there are witnesses. And if anyone hears your witness and wants to be in, then you should let them in. The the particulars for disobedience, they'll be defeated. There'll be drought in the land. Wild beasts will rip them apart. There'll be devastation. And eventually you'll be kicked out of the land. And that's exactly what happens. Um, They are defeated on every front. There's trouble in the land. There's devastation. And finally, God takes that northern kingdom of, of Israel and wipes them out by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom, he deports them, takes them into captivity in Babylon. While they're there... Daniel, Ezekiel lead a repentance, and they come back. Nehemiah does as well. The particulars, it's, this is the inevitable history. Again, this is where Moses basically says, hey, I want you to be faithful. I know you're not going to be. <laughs> it's inevitable. This is going to happen. And repentance is going to be required when you're unfaithful and you're disciplined. Obedience is demanded, but the compassion of God leads for him to restore you right back to the place of blessing. That's the Palestinian covenant. Again, it's going to be the history of Israel for the rest of Israel. 
When they're faithful, God's blessing. When they're not faithful, God's disciplining. And it's going to be the message of all of the prophets. One of the reasons it's difficult to distinguish, what does Amos say and what does Micah say? Oh, they look all the same because they're all preaching Deuteronomy 28 through 30. They're all preaching the same message. They're all preaching obedience brings blessing, disobedience brings discipline, and repentance will bring restoration. So what do we do with all this? So what? (laughs) What should we believe? And how should we behave in light of this? Danny Hayes says it really well. God's not fooling around. (laughs) He's deadly serious about the gravity of this covenant agreement. Wonderful blessings will come from obedience, but terrible consequences will come from disobedience. God is serious about this. He's not fooling around. This is really how it's going to be. So what should we believe? The Lord's clear about his expectation of for his faithfulness. He will be faithful to bless, but also to discipline, but in grace to restore. And the Lord is clear about his expectation of our faithfulness. And in that, he tells us obedience will bring blessing, disobedience will bring discipline, repentance will bring restoration. And God's people represent him in this world. Believe that. That's what this book tells us to believe. You represent God in your family. You represent God on your street. You represent God. So live that way. And then finally, I really think this tells us how we should behave is choose life. I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, right at the end of the book. After he gives the Palestinian covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 30, um, he offers them death or life. Here's how he does it. This is Deuteronomy 30, 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now, when you hear that, you go life and prosperity, death and destruction. Why would they choose death and destruction, which they choose all the time? Why do we? We choose it all the time. We don't choose faithfulness to the Lord. He says, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and keep his commandments, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. He goes on to say, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Choose life. Be faithful to him. Hold on to him. Stay close to him. So where does all this fit? It's a summary of the law in a contract with the Lord calling for covenant faithfulness for them and for us. Next steps. Recognize the authority and faithfulness of God. Take the word of God seriously, because he's serious about it, and choose obedience in real life. And let me just frame it this way as I end. Um, God was faithful to his people. He redeemed them out of Egypt. They were um, slaves to the Egyptians. They couldn't do anything about it, and God redeemed them out of that, graciously providing for them. And now he's calling them to be faithful to him. That's their generation. God loved the world so much, you and I so much, that he didn't redeem us with ten plagues. He redeemed us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven to come down and lay down his life for us. He redeemed us. That's the contract he made with us. I'll give you my son 
to give you life. Choose life. Life being faithfulness to him, staying close to him, abiding in him. Why would you choose, why would you choose the promises of the world? Why would you choose what the world is offering you? It's temporary and it's not satisfying. It's actually death and destruction. Given God's faithfulness to us, I am begging you, choose life. Choose his way. Choose faithfulness to him. Choose to stay close to him. Choose life. Father, thank you for the clarity of your message to us. Father, I pray that you would um, allow us to see your faithfulness in the pages of Scripture, but see your faithfulness in the days of our life. Father, I pray that you would um, remind us, help us to remember all that you've done for us. Help us to remember uh, the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. And help us to be faithful to you, witnesses in this world. Help us to experience, enjoy, and share the life that you've given us. And we ask you to do that through the power of the Spirit, because we can't do it on our own. Through the provision that is made through Jesus Christ and out of our faithfulness to you. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.